You are this morning, post-Super Bowl, one of two groups. You are in one of two groups. And I don't mean you're either Packers or Bears. I mean that you are either a follower of Jesus Christ or not, right? There's not an in-between ground there. You are either following Jesus or not. And if you're not yet, then let me tell you this morning, I'm just glad that I've got your ear for a few minutes. Thank you. Uh, if you're online, if you're here in person, and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, but you're interested in following Jesus, this is the right place to be. I'm glad that you're here. And I hope that in a few minutes, you will have uh, a better explanation of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and that you'll have more compelling reasons to become a person who starts that journey. And by the end of today, I hope that's what's taking place in your life. I and others have been praying for you this morning, specifically, that that's a decision that you'll consider. Now, if you're in that other group and you're already a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus today, listen up, because the imperative from Jesus that we're going to be looking at today is a key to our whole life in him. It's not just about how we become a disciple, but the imperative that we're looking at today also deals with how we remain a disciple, how you remain a follower of Jesus. Now this year, we have been talking about getting all eyes on Jesus, right? Because we know that's the only way that anybody is going to find any real hope in this world that we're living in today, whether you're uh, a person that right now is in Turkey and Syria, where over 41,000 people have now been verified have died, and more than twice that have been seriously injured. Or if you're in Ukraine, where the war now enters into its second year this week. Or if you're sitting in a college classroom, or you're standing in a grocery store line, or if you're working on a long shift at a job that you're not enjoying, or you're lying in a hospital bed, or you're lying at a, at a home at home by yourself, there are a lot of people that have lost hope. And we here at Central Christian Church are audacious enough to say that we have found hope in Jesus Christ. Amen? That hope lives here. And that we believe that's where hope can be found. People who have lost it can find it in him. And anybody can have that. So we need our eyes on Jesus. For several weeks we've been looking at these claims that Jesus made about himself. These I am statements that Jesus made. And here's something that I have noticed as we come to this last one today. Something I noticed and started thinking about from these one-line uh, scandalous claims that Jesus made. Every time we look at one of them, we walk away with something to do. It tells us there's something for us to do. And so this morning in John chapter 15, if you've got your Bibles, open them up to John chapter 15. Uh, this morning in John 15, we're going to walk out with something for you to do. All right? Here's why. If I could say it in one sentence, it's because like branches need a vine, we need Jesus. Like branches need a vine, we need Jesus. Last week, uh, when Brian was preaching, he was taking us to the scene where Jesus is with the 11 disciples that shared the Last Supper with him in the upper room in Jerusalem, and the countdown clock begins ticking. 
And they finish that supper together, and within hours, Jesus is going to be arrested, tried, and tortured to death. You are with that group, and you're making your way out of Jerusalem, out of the city, to a gate somewhere on the eastern wall toward the Mount of Olives. And you pass by the temple in the dim light. And as you look at the temple, you would see standing above the entryway to the Holy of Holies, great big doors surrounded by gold artwork of a grapevine. The grapevine, the bald eagle of the Jewish nation. It was on everything that reminded them of their Jewishness. Grapes and grapevines show up all over the Old Testament. Grapes are mentioned more than any other plant in the, in the Bible grapes. It is Israel's title. They are God's vine. And it's even stamped on their coins. So it's familiar. It would be as familiar to the average Jew as, say, the golden arches to you. All right? It's all about being American, isn't it? The golden arches. So picture that grapevine there around the entryway of the holy place. And maybe Jesus points to it as he says these words, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. A few years ago, our water softener stopped working. So like any good cheap homeowner would do, I watched a few YouTube videos. I took it apart. I figured, what's to lose? It's not working. I got the correct part to fix it. I got a better understanding of it and the process, and I put it all back together. And lo and behold, soft water. What a great thing. I want to do that same thing with this passage this morning. I want to take it apart and get a better understanding of it with you, and then put it all back together and see how that fits into our lives, and we can walk out of here today with something to do about this passage from John 15. So first of all, I want to break it down by looking at the cast of characters, all right? There is a cast of characters here. Number one, and you help me with this, there is a vine, and the vine is Jesus, right? He said, I am the vine. That's the I am statement we're looking at today. 
So grapevines, if you looked at a grapevine, have, first of all, a trunk, a rooted starting point. That plant might stretch out for a long distance, but it all starts with a single vine. And Jesus says here in these very first words of this chapter, I am the true vine. That's interesting, isn't it? Could it be that there are phony vines? Could it be? So that Jesus would say, I am the true vine. Jesus is the true vine. That's one character in this story. And then he says there are branches. And these branches are us. That's right. That's us. There we are in this picture already. Those branches are us. A vine bears fruit through its branches, or canes, as they're called in viticulture. And you'll find them attached to the vine, or else they're not going to be living very long. As Keith Green said in a song many years ago, remember, he is divine and you are the branch. All right? So that's you and me. We are the branches. And then in this story, there is a vine dresser, and that one is God. All right? He is the vine dresser, Jesus said, or, or farmer. Vine dressers, you know, do more than just stand around and watch vines grow. If a branch is non-productive or dead, he says, he hauls it off and tosses it in a fire. And if a branch is doing well, if a branch is growing well, what does a vine dresser do to it? He prunes it. He cuts it back. Why does a vine dresser do that? Jesus said, so that it can bear more fruit. That's how grapes work. Jesus says that the Father, like any reasonable vine dresser, is looking for fruit. He wants the vine to produce fruit. That fruit, whatever it is, is going to bring glory to the Father. So there's the cast of characters, all right? There is a vine, that is Jesus. There is branches, there are branches, that is us, and there is a vine dresser, and that is God the Father. All right, that's the cast of characters. There's also a storyline in this story. There's fruit, which I'm just going to call the outcome of your life for right now, okay? We'll just call it the outcome of your life, and we'll dig into that more in a minute. There is also in this story, are you, are you looking at it? Fire. There's a fire somewhere here where dead branches go. You know, Jesus could have used any kind of imagery that he wanted to to talk about what happens to the dead branches. He could have said, well, the dead branches just get hauled off and they're gone. But Jesus has always indicated that God's judgment is a place of fire called hell. That's in this story. And branches that wither and dry up, he says, are burned in the fire. The part of the storyline that we're reading right there, the fire, that should get our attention. What's at stake here isn't just is, uh, if there's going to be grapes and if there will be grapes, how many there will be. What's at stake here is that there are only two kinds of branches in this story. There are those that bear fruit and there are those that are burned. That's how Jesus sets it up. All right, so let's take a look at what Jesus says happens now. I want to call this the story of Vineville, okay? What happens in Vineville? 
If you've ever worked much with plants, you know there is a name for those scraggly branches that spring up on a plant or around a tree or a vine, and they're called what? Suckers. Suckers or parasites because they suck the life out of the rest of the plant and keep it from being fruitful. The same thing is true of people who claim to follow Jesus but who never produce fruit. When a body has a part in it that no longer is serving the body but begins just to serve itself, we call that a cancer. And we need to ask ourselves about this this morning. I'm just being real and putting it out there up front. Are we a branch that bears fruit or are we a self-serving sucker that saps strength from the plant? Those branches go through, Jesus says it here, a four-step process. They are thrown away, they wither, they are gathered up, and they are burned. Oh man, what a downer. What a way to start. But there is a way around that. And the way around it is, did you look at his words, that Jesus said, if we will remain in him, we will bear much fruit. We don't have to become deadwood in the Vineville story, all right? So my goal, and I hope your goal, is to be a fruitful part of the plant in Vineville. Fruit is a way of describing the outcome of our lives. In Matthew chapter 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you'll know false teachers by their fruit. In other words, the things that they teach. In Luke 6, he says, you'll know if there is good in the heart of a man by what comes out of his mouth, his fruits. And then the New Testament talks about the fruit of repentance, the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of light, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of our lips, those are things that show up in the life of a growing disciple in this place we're calling Vineville. Now, it's not a mistake that Jesus talks about fruit here and not work. Did you notice that? We're not talking about the work of your life. We are talking about the fruit of your life. Over near the end of Galatians, chapter 6, Paul makes a list of things there Near the end of the chapter, there's two lists. One of them is a list of the ugly things that exude from our fleshly selves, and Paul calls those things the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those are the works of the flesh. But then there's another list. The one that follows it is called the fruit of the Spirit. The things that come out of our lives when God takes up residence in us and we follow his lead. One of those lists is a list of works. The other one is a list of fruit. It's not a mistake that God made when he had Paul inspired to write the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, two different words. One comes from ourselves what happens when we put ourselves in the control room of our lives? That's the works of the flesh. The other is a list of what happens when we give control over to the Holy Spirit and we follow his lead, and that produces in our life fruit. 
Fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. That is a relationship of dependency that always reflects back on the vine. You know, you can work all you want to. You can work in stress trying to make all this just squirt out of your life. But I keep thinking back to the opening words of Psalm 127. It's one of my favorite psalms. It's written by Solomon, Solomon who built the temple. Solomon who built the temple for God started that psalm with these words, unless the Lord builds the house, the one who builds it labors in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. A lot of people have arrived at the end of their trail with a long list of achievements. Number of books they published number of wards they received, the recognition they had, the finances that they accumulated, the records that they set in their life. People do these things. People accomplish these things. They become celebrities. They become people we celebrate, and we call them celebrate-ees. That's where it comes from. We celebrate them. And you know what? Many of the people who have those lists of accumulated things accomplished those things in their life without ever being close to Jesus Christ, didn't they? And Jesus takes those lists of accomplishments. Jesus takes that list of things. Everything that you accomplish in your life, everything that is done without him on your own strength, and he applies one word to it, and describes it. He says it's nothing. Because he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do that. Nothing. He didn't say, you know, apart from me, things aren't going to go quite as well as they could have gone. He doesn't say, apart from me, you're not going to get as much done of substance in your life. He doesn't say, apart from me, life is going to be a little bit harder. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. In fact, he says it with a double negative just to emphasize it. It's bad English to say it that way, but apart from me, you can't do nothing. That's how it would read. Fruit comes from God. Fruit also points to God. And we looked at some negative things, but the positive part of this is very exciting. Look at verse 8. Look at it again. We're going to several times. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. September of 2021, Stefano Cutrupi. I hope I did that right, Rodertz. Stefano Cutrupi of Italy, Tuscany, set the world record for the largest pumpkin. Brian Rodert would be so jealous. He loves pumpkins. So here is a picture of Stefano looking like an Olympic champion, doesn't he? For the pumpkin that he grew to be the size of a Fiat, and it looked like it had been dropped off of a tall building, 2,702 pounds. So all that fame and all that glory goes to Stefano for setting the Guinness Book of World Records record for pumpkin growing. I'm not sure what he did to get a pumpkin to do that, 
I just know this, that on its own, it probably would not have happened. And so Stefano, who, who grew it, receives all of the kudos. The pumpkin doesn't. The pumpkin received, I don't know, the honor of becoming 14,000 pumpkin squares or something like that. But somebody grows a big vegetable in their garden, and we look at that and we say things like, wow, look at the size of that tomato, Larry. Good job. You're amazing. When the tomato's the one that did all the work, actually God did the work. But that's the way it is, isn't it? We look at the produce and we praise the one who worked the soil, who worked with the plant so that it would do its very best. Domesticated plants like grapes need to be tended and helped to do well. They won't do well unless they're helped by a vine dresser. See, when we, branches, that's us, when we bear fruit, we're not bringing honor to ourselves. What does verse 8 say? By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. By this is my Father glorified. Remember the mission of Central Christian Church? Love God, love people, serve both. Ultimately, when we do that, it points back to God, doesn't it? Not to you and me, but to God. Listen to how Jesus said it in Matthew 5, 16. He said, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Peter said in 1 Peter 2.12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. How do you show, if you're a follower of Jesus today, how do you show that you're a disciple of Jesus? Let me tell you, it's got to be something better than just the things that you're against. It's got to be something better than just a list of the things that you don't do. It needs to be something other than just the way that you dress or how much you eat at Chick-fil-A. One of the ways, Jesus says here, one of the ways that we show that we are disciples of Jesus is we bear much fruit. You show that you are a disciple by bearing much fruit. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. You know what that means? It means that if you and I really care about God being honored, if we really care about people regarding God the way that they ought to, we will care about producing fruit in our lives. Amen? By this is my Father glorified. Also, when any plant produces fruit, what does the plant do with that fruit? You ever think about that? It doesn't eat it. It doesn't eat it. It doesn't store it up for the future. What happens when a really nice bunch of grapes grows on a grapevine? What happens to it? It gets cut off and taken away. Someone takes them away. They go away from the branch. That, that branch does not produce the fruit for itself. It's for something greater than itself, something like the propagation of the species or the feeding of the masses or something else that ultimately points back to the one who created it in the first place. That's how plants that grow fruit work. 
See, the point of this isn't just for us to grow bigger or to grow lots of leaves. Because God isn't just in the business of filling up our lives so that we personally are going to feel fuller. The point of what God is doing in our lives is to produce fruit. Fruit that is temporarily attached to ourselves, but ultimately taken away from us so that it can benefit someone else. No vine ever produced fruit so that it could consume it. And fruit is talking here about something that won't be much use to ourselves. The fruit that gets produced in our lives is for someone else. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. There are these branches that bear fruit. There are people whose lives are showing the good things that come from their relationship with Jesus. What happens to them? What happens to the branches that are doing? Well, you said it earlier. If a vine is producing, if the, if the branch is producing, what does the vine dresser do to it? He prunes it. Every year, a healthy grape plant produces many, many feet of branches. And those branches may grow and produce grapes and leaves, and then they've got to be pruned. They've got to be lopped off. In fact, quite a bit needs to be removed. If a, if a vine is left untrimmed, if a vine is not pruned, it will grow into a mess. It will produce these long, rambling pieces of wood and leaves, but not as much fruit because all the strength of the plant gets poured into producing wood. But that's not why you plant a grape plant. So a healthy grape plant's got to be cut back. In fact, about 80 to 90% of the previous year's growth gets cut off, not because it's bad, but because it doesn't serve the purpose of the vine. And it makes me think about how in our lives, sometimes we need to be trimmed, don't we? Dead wood needs to be cut off or else it's going to keep us from being fruitful. So, so where you're sitting right now today, and as you go out the doors today, go ahead and think of the list of what that is in your own life. The junk, the rottenness, the things that keep it from producing the fruit that God wants it to produce. God can help you get rid of that, and you should want to get rid of that. That's a no-brainer, isn't it? If you want fruit produced in your life, get rid of the stuff that hinders it. But then there are also good things that need to be trimmed away. You and I can rightly handle only so much blessing. And there are times when God comes into our life and he will remove some of the good things too so that fruitfulness won't be sacrificed in the name of our own largeness. Sometimes too many good things just don't serve the purpose God has for us to live. I'll never make it as a TV evangelist, will I? But sometimes that's how he deals with us. You ever been pruned by God? I felt what it was like to lose someone dear to me or to lose a sense of security or to have a dream cut off. Good things, I thought. And yet God saw that it was better for some reason to prune those. You ever felt the sharp pain of losing something good from your life? Maybe it didn't make much sense at the time. Maybe it still hasn't made much sense. But if that's you this morning, I would want you to remember what it means to be pruned by the vine dresser. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10, the writer says, Our fathers disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. 
But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I know that it's hard in the middle of it. But remember that being pruned may be the very way that God wants you to bear fruit in your life that points to him. Jesus didn't give us a definition here, by the way, of what it means to abide in him or to remain in him. If he needed to, he would have. I don't think, though, that's too hard to figure out, is it? What it means to remain in Jesus. Remain in him, stay close to him. We might call it stick with the program. Continue your journey. There are going to be peaks and valleys, yes, but there are going to be some times in your life that it's slower than others, but stick with it. There's going to be some times when you feel like going back. Jesus says when that happens, remain in me. A disciple of Jesus is somebody who remains in him. And the only way to remain alive and producing fruit as a disciple is to stay close in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And so you ask this morning, how do I stay close in my relationship with Jesus Christ? And I'm glad you asked that. I want to just wrap up this morning with these ideas about how to stay close, how to remain in the vine. The first one is this, make remaining close to him a priority. Make it a priority. We put a lot of effort and money into weddings. Have you noticed that, fathers of the brides here? That we put a lot of effort, a lot of money, a lot of planning, a lot of thought into a single event on a single day that happens for a few hours. How about the marriage? We give a lot of priority when it comes to our relationship to beginning with him. What about remaining in him? This may come as a shock to all of you, but my wife does not do our car maintenance. She doesn't care about oil changes and tire rotations. I start speaking those things to her, and she says, all I hear is, womp, 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 womp. She just wants the car to run, right? Maintenance is one of the driest, most boring, mundane things there are to some people. But you know what? When it comes to closeness with Jesus Christ, it's essential. Make it a priority. Set aside the time it takes. Put away the things that detract. Make it a priority. That's number one. Here's number two. Take an honest look at where you're at. Could you do that this morning? Ask some honest questions like, am I a fruit-producing branch or a life-sucking parasite? Am I a part of solving challenges and problems in the church, or am I a part of the problem? Am I here to see what I can contribute or am I coming to see what I can get? Am I here to serve or be served? Because Jesus said, fruitful branches don't serve themselves. Ask some tough questions. Here's number three. Stop lifestyles, ways of thinking, situations that make us ashamed to have Jesus near. I think sometimes part of the reason that we fail to remain close to Jesus is because we put ourselves in situations in life where we would be ashamed to think that Jesus is near us. 
that we would be afraid to take him some of the places that we go. Let me tell you this morning, if you can't take Jesus on the date with you, you shouldn't be going. If you'd be ashamed to have Jesus sitting by you watching the movie that you're watching, you shouldn't be watching it. If you're constantly getting into places or situations where you would be ashamed for Jesus to see, no wonder you don't feel like he's close to you. So leave those. Stop pretending Jesus doesn't know and start desiring closeness with him over the things that you're ashamed of. Stop those. Told you you'd have something to do. Near London, Hampton Court Palace, the world's largest grapevine grows today inside of a glass house. It is this year 255 years old. Over its lifetime, planted by the gardener of Queen Victoria, it has had only 11 people take care of it as its keepers. Its root now is 12 feet in circumference. And it's got branches as long as 120 feet. One year, this single root bore over 800 pounds of grapes, which you can buy when you visit the Hampton Court gift shop in September. And although the end of those branches is so scattered out and so far away from that main root, they bear fruit for two reasons. Number one, they're joined to the vine, and the life of that vine flows into them to produce fruit. And second, because they have a vine dresser who gives them exactly what they need to do well. Jesus said, I am the vine, we are the branches. My Father is the vine dresser. And like branches need a vine, we need Jesus. I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. How great this morning it would be if you're not already a follower of Jesus. Like Larry used the word, it's what the Bible calls it, being grafted into the vine. And you can become a part of that life-giving vine. And you can produce the fruit that comes from being united with Jesus Christ. He wants that for you. He also wants that for the sake of the Father because by this is the Father glorified. Maybe this morning you're thinking, you know what, I want to glorify God. I want to be close to Jesus. I want my life to produce fruit. Who doesn't want those things? You can have that if you'd be willing to be grafted into the vine. So if you're not a follower of Christ and you're joining us online, I'm going to invite you to contact us so that we can get in touch with you about beginning a relationship with Jesus. Uh, there's more to it than just saying a few words and, oh, it's done. I'm now a follower of Jesus. No, there, you need to understand what it means to follow him. It's about giving your life over to him. And if that's you today, get in contact with us so that we can reply and develop a conversation with you and help you see what it means to follow Christ. If you're here today and that's a decision that you're ready to make, that's great. We're going to sing a song here in just a moment. This is a time that we all are challenged to take what we have looked at in God's Word, to decide what we're going to do with it. And today, if becoming a follower of Jesus is what you need to decide to do, 
This can be the moment that you make that choice. So I'm going to invite you, uh, starting from right about now to the time that we leave here, to come on down here and talk to me. Come down here to the front. Maybe you're ready to make that choice and you just want to say to everybody, I'm ready. Wouldn't that be great this morning? I don't even know your name, some of you, but I know I've been praying that you'd make that choice. Let's stand up together. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you. Taking simple things that we can look at and just be reminded well, that really is how God is at work. Just like Jesus took this very common, ordinary thing in the, in the thoughts of his followers, we today get to look at that and, and understand better what it means to follow you, to be connected with you, to have the outcome in our lives that there should be from you living inside us. We don't deserve these things, God. How wonderful they are. And I pray that uh, you would please soften our hearts. God, if there is uh, anyone here today who's been resistant to words like this from Jesus, I pray today that resistance would melt down. That there would be a yielding, a, a joy in running to you and joining with you. And God, for others who have been carrying the family name, maybe for a long time, but who recognize about themselves that life isn't like it should be, that uh, we haven't allowed you to do the, the good things that you're wanting to do through us, the fruit that you're wanting to give through us to others. Change us. Conform us to what you want us to be. And take moments like this right now, God, that you've given us to do that work is our prayer in Jesus' name.